0: Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and I don't know how many of you are enjoying the cooler weather. Uh, I like the cooler weather. Now, when it gets just bitterly cold, I'm not so crazy about that, but lots of folks like the cooler weather. You start thinking about Christmas and decorating for Christmas. I know some folks already have their tree up. No judgment here. Ours is up as well, and uh, you know we ask you not to judge us if you're one of those scrooges who wants to wait until after Thanksgiving to put your tree up. But, uh, no, hey, it's your preference, whatever you want to do, but, but I like cold, I like to look at the fire in the fireplace, you know, in town we had the gas logs, and that's just not the same as having the real wood burning in the fireplace, and we've had a few fires already, but, you know, first we had to get firewood, and I uh, found out that Ernie had been selling some firewood, I think he's about sold out now, but, you know, I called Ernie up, and he brought a trailer load of firewood over, and and as he pulled up, and I was showing him where we was going to put it, and I thought, oh, I forgot to grab my gloves so I could help unload it. And, and uh, he's putting his gloves on, and, and I said, let me run back in the house and get my gloves. I started to take about an hour to find my gloves, <laughs> but I didn't. I knew exactly where they were, so I grabbed my gloves. I brought them with me this morning just to prove, and, you know, they're getting kind of worn. These are just the cheap gloves. And, and so, uh, anyway, work gloves, they're important when you're unloading firewood. They're important when you're doing a lot of different jobs around the place. And uh, you understand why you need gloves, right? And you understand how gloves work. I mean, you just lay them down and you say, unload the firewood. Well, don't we wish? You know, I had to move the firewood yesterday because we had, we didn't have our permanent place ready where I was going to put it. So yesterday I moved it. And last night I could tell I had moved all that firewood. I wish these gloves would have done more of the work, but, you know, until the glove is filled up, it's useless, isn't it? You could fill the glove with a lot of stuff. You could fill it up with sand. You could fill it up with dirt. You could fill it up with straw, like they do uh, maybe for a uh, scarecrow or something. But until the glove is filled with the hand, it is completely useless. useless. That glove can do nothing by itself. You see, that one's just still laying there. It's not doing anything. The only thing that makes the glove useful is a hand. Nothing else. It works only as the hand controls it. It has no job other than the job that the hand has, and that glove never asks my hand what it needs to do. My hand never just gives the, the glove a job and... And moves on and expects the job to complete it. And you know, I bet if these gloves could talk, they would complain a lot. That's what we do, isn't it? They'd complain a lot about all the work they have to do. But you know what? They wouldn't be able to brag about any of the work because they don't do it under their own power, they don't do it by themselves. And when we get right down to it and we examine ourselves and we examine our own lives and we we examine our spiritual lives, we understand that we are a lot like these gloves. We can fill our lives with a bunch of junk, and our lives will never be useful, never be beneficial for the kingdom of God. But in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the Ephesians exactly what their life has to be filled with so that they can be useful, like a glove is useful when it is filled with the hand. So far in Ephesians uh, chapters 4 and 5 and leading into 6, Paul has a lot of do's and don'ts for the Ephesian believers. But he stops right here in our text this morning that we'll examine, and he tells them how they're going to accomplish all of the things he's told them to do how they're going to be filled so that they can accomplish the will of God in their lives. Because you see, a lot of times we want the will of God to take place in our lives. We ask God to allow his will to come in our lives, but we never examine what we have to do or what we have to allow to happen in order for him to do what he's going to do. You see, if Paul were to have been... To the, Corinthian believe, I mean, to the Ephesian believers, just someone giving them a bunch of do's and don'ts, everything he said would be useless. It's only because he told them how to be filled that they needed to be filled with the right substance, and that substance is the Spirit. And that's the only way we're useful for the kingdom of God. Read with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 18. I'll catch you up to where we're at. So far, he's been telling them a lot of do's and don'ts. He's been telling them how to walk as a believer ought to walk, and that includes some do's and don'ts. It should. We're supposed to be different from the world around us. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, continuing his do's and don'ts here, he says, "...and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's just as true today as it was the day you inspired Paul to write this. I thank you that this the principle that we'll talk about this morning is just as true for our lives today as it was for the Ephesians. And I pray that we'd leave here changed. I pray that we'd leave here willing to surrender to the control of your spirit and that we'd leave here uh, ready to impact the world for your kingdom unlike ever before. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 18 is really the heart of Paul's letter to the Ephesian believers. You see, Ephesians, just like most of Paul's writings, could really be broken down into two segments. And most of Paul's writings, he spends about the first half of the book saying, here's what you should believe. And then he spends the second half of the book saying, now here's how that should be reflected in your life. Here's how you do, here's the do's and don'ts that reflect what you should believe in your life. And as we get to verse 18... This is central to the entire message because without verse 18, the rest of it would be useless. So let's look at verse 18, then we'll see how the other verses apply to it uh, really quickly this morning. But, you know, he starts out with a negative command in verse 18, "I do not. And they say, here you go, preacher. Here's another sermon on the evils of alcohol. That's not what this sermon is at all. But I will tell you that the Bible is very consistent. In the Old Testament, and the New Testament, all throughout the Bible, God condemns drunkenness. For any situation, for any reason, drunkenness is never okay in the life of a believer. It does not exemplify the character that a believer should exemplify. They should show in their life. But as we look at the context of what Paul is talking here, he's talking about a very specific kind of drunkenness. As we look at the cultural context, understand what's happening in the day and time when Paul writes into these specific people. We look at the historical and the biblical context here. We understand that Paul's talking about a very specific type of drunkenness here. You see, the Ephesian believers, uh, by and large, most of them came from a certain pagan religion, they worshipped one of the Greek gods before they had become Christians. And one of the ways in which they worshipped, false worship of course, true worship is only to Jehovah God, the way that they thought they worshipped this false god was they'd get drunk. That euphoria they would feel when they were good and giddy, they thought got them closer to this god. There were other things that happened in this state of drunkenness that certainly are not pleasing to the real God. Because they were drunk, these things happened that are not PG-13 rated. Would result in an X-rated movie today, and so we won't go into any further detail about what all they were doing while they were worshipping their false god. But alcohol was a key component. And so as Paul addresses them, and he's telling them how they ought to live as believers with a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's saying drunkenness. The way you used to worship its not the way you worship today. You shouldn't be controlled by alcohol. You shouldn't be controlled by the ways of the world. He says those things are dissipation. What does that mean? That means recklessness. That means a lack of control. When you're intoxicated, you are anything but under control. What are you? You're under the influence, aren't you? Paul extends that metaphor. He says, don't be under the influence of an intoxicating drink. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's the way you live your life. All the do's and don'ts, You can't do those unless you're under the influence, under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that's the context of verse 18. Don't be under the influence of the ways of the world. Be filled with the Spirit. Be under control of the Holy Spirit. I think it's important to stop here and see what he doesn't say in verse 18. He doesn't say, don't be drunk with wine because you're filled with the Spirit. You see, this term, being filled with the Spirit, is different than being indwelt by the Spirit. Paul is writing to Christians. The Bible teaches that when we are saved, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. We have all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get at the very moment of salvation. We are indwelt by the Spirit. Here Paul says, be filled by the Spirit. It's a little bit different word. We'll get to that in just a moment. Paul's saying this. This is a command. To be indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not a command. That just happens. That's just something God does. You're saved. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't decide whether or not the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. When you make the decision to follow Christ, it just happens. Here Paul's giving a command. Be Filled. The Greek verb translated be filled here in Ephesians chapter 5 carries the connotation that we are constantly aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and therefore we submit to his will. It means that we constantly understand that this is us, this is him. We do nothing without being filled by His Spirit. And so that's what Paul's talking about. It's the day-to-day, moment-by-moment, submission to the control of the Spirit. Let's go a little bit deeper into detail about this word filled because you probably picture what I picture when I talk about being filled. I picture a glass and a jug of water and you fill it up until it's all the way to the rim, maybe overflowing, and you say, it's full. It's not the word being used here. The Greek word being used here, this verb is, is, is plerou, playro. That's the Greek verb being used, and it's also used within the Greek language to picture wind filling the sail of a ship. What happens when wind fills? fills the sail. The ship moves. And as the Holy Spirit fills our life, as we allow ourselves, we submit to the will of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to fill our lives. He ought to move us in a direction that God wants us to go. That's one picture that we see here in verse 18. There's another way it's used. This same word is used to depict salt. As you salt meat, as you are cooking it, as you are preserving it. Salt permeates the meat. It flavors it. It preserves it. And as we allow our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit ought to flavor our lives so that our lives look more like Him. And He ought to preserve our lives as He does. Both of those are the way that Greek word is used, but it's not the best example of the way Paul uses it in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Because another way it's used within the the Greek language and within the Bible is to be controlled by emotion. You ever been controlled by emotion? You've been so mad. You did something when you were mad. You were so mad that it led you to do something that you shouldn't have done, and you said, I couldn't help it, I was so mad. I was controlled by that emotion. Some people say things during the grief process, and you'll hear somebody say they didn't mean that. That was just the grief talking. We're controlled by emotions. Sometimes we're controlled with joy, and we do things because we're just so joyful or so bubbly with joy that we do things and we say things that we might not otherwise do. You've heard of a crime of passion. same context that this word is being used, the way Paul uses the word filled is not to be filled as in filling a glass, but to be totally dominated and controlled by something. And in the context of verse 18, it is by the Spirit of God. That's the best correlation to what Paul is describing, to be completely controlled. We cannot live the life we're called to live unless we allow the Holy Spirit of God to completely control our lives. He's there, been there since the moment we were saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we already said, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have to allow that indwelling of the Holy Spirit to control our lives, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. You say it doesn't sound like fun. Sure doesn't sound like fun to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it means that I'm abiding by all these do's and don'ts. And you know, there's some of those don'ts that I really like to do. This doesn't sound very fun, giving up all the control I have of my life. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bought you and me. He paid the price of his life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You are not yours. If you are saved, you are his. You really don't have control anyway. So you might as well make it fun. And I'll tell you, as we see here in the rest of the verses, that allowing the Holy Spirit to control our lives really is the best option. Because Paul says, here's what it results in. Number one, it affects us personally. When we allow our lives to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, it affects us personally. Look what he says in verse 19. Be filled with the Holy Spirit from verse 18. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You ever known somebody that just goes around singing? They've always got a happy tune in their heart. I almost said a happy rhythm because you ever heard the song? You know, there's a happy rhythm. Anyway, now it's stuck in your head like it's been stuck in mine ever since Mary mentioned it this morning. So it's her fault. And so, uh, but it's you ever hear somebody just walks around singing or whistling all the time? You think that person is happy, unless they're singing a sad song. But most of the time they're not. Most of the time, when somebody's walking around singing or whistling. They've got a joyous song in their heart. It's something that even the secular world knows. The seven dwarfs knew it. Whistle while you work, and cheerfully together we can tidy up the place. I looked this up. I didn't know the lyrics. So hum a merry tune. It won't take long when there's a song to help you set the pace. It goes on. I'll skip some of it. It says, When hearts are high, the time will fly. So whistle while you work. The folks at Disney may not have realized they were employing a biblical principle when they wrote that little tune. Because when you're happy, a lot of times you got a song in your heart. You're whistling. Maybe while you work or while you do whatever else. And you know what? Doesn't sometimes... When people's doing that, it just gets on your nerves. Sometimes somebody's so happy it just gets on your nerves, Well, just start singing with them. And maybe it'll make you happy too. But Paul says, when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, here's here's the principle in all that singing. It means you're joyful. When we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, we're joyful. So joyful that we're singing a happy tune or whistling a happy tune. But look exactly what kind of songs he's talking about. He says in Psalms, you familiar with Psalms? A whole bunch of them right here in the same book that's in your hand, right? You know what the Psalms are? By and large, they're praises to God. When we allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives, we ought to sing joyful songs that are praises to God. It's okay to sing the psalms. You know, they do that in a lot of churches. They put the psalms to melodies, and they sing the psalms. Sing praise to God. It says psalms and hymns. What are hymns? By and large, are songs about Jesus Christ and about the work that He did for us on the cross so that we could be saved. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we ought to be joyful as we reflect on singing praises to God and about Jesus Christ, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, it is not, He is not some taskmaster. And you say, oh, I don't want to submit to that. It makes you joyful. You know the mark of a Christian I really believe as this teaches and as the Bible teaches is someone who's joyful. I meet some people I've met some people in some churches and they're so bitter and curmudgeonly you think how are you saved? How is the joy of the Lord not just bubbling out of you? Well I submit to the Holy Spirit and allow that to happen. The next thing that Paul points out the next consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit by being under the control of the Holy Spirit is that it affects not only us personally, but it affects our relationship with God. In verse 20, it says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good time of year to think about being thankful. Even if you've already got your Christmas tree up like us, you can still observe Thanksgiving you can still be thankful. And Paul told the the, the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. When you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, you have no choice but to be thankful is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. That means we give thanks for things with which He's already blessed us. We give thanks for the things that Maybe we've been praying about, but he hasn't come through with yet. We give thanks for the things which he has refused to bless us with. Because you know what? He's smarter than us. I am some of the things I am most thankful for. I said some, not all. Some of the things I am most thankful for are the things that God closed the door on. Because he's smarter than me. When we realize that little thing right there, life gets better too. We ought to give thanks when everything's going good. And when we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're able to give thanks in the middle of life storms. Paul says, give thanks. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're joyful. And we're thankful. And there's there's one more thing. He says, when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, it affects your relationship with other believers. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are, let me use this is a dirty word, submissive. Now, you don't like that word. Most folks don't. Most folks don't like the word submissive. You say, I am me, and I submit to no one. Well, you've got the wrong definition of the word. Here's what it means. It means we're humble. It means that we know every believer has an equal standing before God. And when we submit to one another, it means I'm not superior to you in any way. In the eyes of God, and you're not superior to me in any way. Now he goes on, and we could go through this next part that we didn't read, that people, some folks really don't like. Like verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Or that will cause a stink in some places. Especially in Congress and some other places, the world doesn't like that verse. Goes on to say, "Husbands love your wives," which is a form of submission. Chapter six, verse one: "Children obey your parents," more submission. Goes on down here to say, "Bond servants or employees submit to those who are over you." We don't like to think about submitting. We need to remember that Paul is talking about our relationship with other believers. He's talking about our standing before God. Do you know what submission brings to a community of believers? It brings peace. So far, this being filled with the Holy Spirit thing doesn't sound too bad. It brings joy. It brings a spirit of thanksgiving. It brings peace amongst a community of believers. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, turn over there just a few pages with me. Philippians chapter 4. See how closely those three concepts are tied together all through Scripture. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. What's that? That's joy. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. But guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, all through Scripture, these three concepts are tied together. Joy, thanksgiving, and peace. You really can't have one without the others. Joy, thanksgiving, and peace. And you say, my life's been missing that. Maybe one of them, maybe... All three of them, maybe you think you have a little bit of one, maybe you think you have a little bit of another, but you say, I really need some more of that. I'd love for my life to be completely joyful. I want to be one of these people who's so ridiculously joyful, I get on everybody else's nerves. I want to be joyful, I want to be thankful. I need some peace in my life. Paul says, here's how you do it you submit to the will of the Holy Spirit. You say, Father, I know I'm not as smart as you. As a matter of fact, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not smart at all. And your word tells me how to live my life because you're the potter. I'm the clay. You are the creator and I am the created. Doesn't the creator Know everything about the created and know exactly how the created ought to function. I think we ought to all examine our lives and determine if there's areas where we're not submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given him to us. God's given us the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Now are we using it or not? That's the challenge and that's the invitation this morning because the results are absolutely worth it. Joy in your life. An attitude of thanksgiving towards God and peace within the community of believers. This morning, as the musicians prepare for the invitation, take these few moments while we sing a verse or two of this song and examine your heart and examine your life and see if there's an area where you need to give God more control where you need to allow the Holy Spirit to have more control. And this morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, I'll tell you, there can be no true joy, there can be no true thanksgiving, and there can be no peace in your life. Because those things only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit that happens as a result of that. So this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, I want you to know that the Bible says if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to experience the same joy, thanksgiving, and peace that I do. If you've never been saved, I hope you'll come this morning. Would you stand and we'll sing.